Say, I am woman, hear me roar. I am woman. I'm not saying that. It's <laughs> an asinine thing to say. <laughs> well, that's how we like to start the podcast. I like to start at asinine. <laughs> you know, we say asinine again. We say that word a lot in this podcast. I I say it a lot in my life. It's a great word. It is a pretty good word. Asinine's a good word. You know what else is a good word? What's a good word? Asphalt. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> To the Duke and Duchess podcast, the number one concrete and asphalt podcast on the internet. (laughs) We talk building materials. (sighs) We talk roadways. Asphalt. Speaking of which, I ran ran into Harry the other day on the road. All right. Anyway, nothing to do with the podcast. (laughs) Good Lord. Right? Buckle your seatbelts, guys. All right. So we are going to talk today about... The Name of the Wind, Book One, King Killer Chronicles, written by Patrick Rothfuss, chapters 60 through 70. Yes, indeed. A good section. Would you like to refresh our audience or tell our new audience members, because you know we got them, about our spoiler policy? Yes, spoiler policy. So we are we are working our way through the name of the wind. Chad has not read this book before, so we're getting his fresh perspective on it. We are um, covering... Only things that have happened in the name of the wind up through chapter 70. So up through the current chapters that we are are following. So uh, if you run into Chad at the grocery store, don't talk about chapter 71 yet. He hasn't read it. Mm-mm. Don't want to ruin it for him. Nope. I may have ruined one small thing already. So, you know, just don't heap up on that. It's so, a pretty small thing. It's a small thing. I mean, yeah, I feel bad, though. Anyway, that's our spoiler policy mm-hmm. um, that may change as we cover other works. But for this one, um, we're not talking about future works. Um, okay. And what are we reading next week? Next week. So we are going to slow it down a little bit as we get to the end of the book without spoiling anything. Um, I will say it gets a little more plot heavy. Uh, we, we might have to break out our tinfoil hat and get into some theories about mm-hmm. stuff that's going on. So... It's going to be good stuff, but next week we are going to cover chapters 71 through 76. Ah, a good, a good reprieve, a smaller chunk of chapters. Right, right, yes. But I have to say, and I've said this before, but I'm going to continue to to give you praise for it. The breaks we've had have been nice, logical breaks. They make sense, good arcs. You know, it's hard to say if we had chosen other places to break it up if it would have worked just as well i don't know but i suspect it wouldn't have so so i think you've done a good job um thanks and you know and i just want to say before we get into stuff how much fun i'm having doing this right now it's a blast it's really it's this might be my favorite thing that we've ever done together um we made four children together. I I was going to say <laughs> my favorite thing that requires pants. Uh, I wasn't sure if we should go there. We have an explicit label on the podcast. <laughs> I try not to like double down on that. But... I would say my favorite thing that sometimes requires pants. I mean, we talked about that last week. But uh, no, this this even beats like that time we took fencing together. Yeah, I agree. That was Which fun, but yeah. you cheated at. 
I didn't. Come on. By now. the way. I didn't, I didn't cheat at fencing. You cheat at fencing. How did I cheat at fencing? Your arms are like eight feet long. It's impossible Come to beat on. you at fencing. <laughs> Come on. That's not true. <laughs> They're only like four feet long. He, he has freak arms. I don't. I really don't. <laughs> I'm not even that tall. Um, there is one thing that I wanted to bring up as well. Um, kind of kind of an elephant in the room. Probably not for anybody out, out there because they're probably not listening. But um, there's, I'm sure, one or two people who have caught on to the fact that we are recording these episodes pretty far ahead of when they actually get released. So um, we, we started this out. We started recording the podcast. We didn't actually have a website. We didn't have... Uh, any way to get this stuff out there. And we had to kind of figure this stuff out. And since then, we've been releasing them one at a time, which means we've got quite a few of them banked up. So by the time you're listening to this, you know, we will have recorded this episode a couple weeks ago. Um, But we're not going to continue that. We want to get kind of caught up to where the podcasts are actually coming out, you know, in a matter of a couple of days rather than a few weeks. Um, So that'll get caught up, especially as we get to the end of this and before we get into our next uh, topic in our next project will be will be caught up and the podcast will be coming out in just a couple of days so so that will improve radio I just felt like it was important to to say that you know I I, I think we want to be able to interact with people and, and get back to them in a quick time if somebody asks us a question I don't want them to have to wait four weeks to you know to hear it on the podcast um, but right now you know, we're just not quite in that place. But we will be. We will be. We will be. But for now, we're speaking to you from the past. <laughs> from the future? Uh, how does that the work? The past. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's late, so I'm I'm not... We are highly caffeinated people. <laughs> it's... you. We have to go through some lengths to stay awake after our kids go to bed, and we're doing that for you. Yeah, I think this is the latest we've ever actually recorded or started recording a podcast. So, it's gonna get it's gonna get loopy. Yeah, we'll see how this one goes. All <laughs> right, let's let's talk about the book now. Good good idea. <laughs> um Yay, book save us. So this section you know, we kind of talk you know, what we get into here is um kind of what happens after Quoth has the spotlight shown on him at the Aeolian, you know, and kind of how he deals with all the things that go on afterwards. A lot of his kind of continuing continuing to work through his day-to-day life at the university, trying to figure out his money problems and trying to track Denna. There's a lot of Denna stuff going on. And then the way it ends is with a, a really huge kind of pulling you away in a completely different direction. And we'll expand on that when we get to the end of it. Right. So, um, yes, like you said, it it picks up right after this huge triumph that Quoth has. So in the in the last section that we talked about, we were introduced to the Aeolian, which is this posh, like kind of um elite music club where it's where the, the whiskey a go go of uh, of whatever the name of this world is. Exactly, exactly. So this is where all the the best, the most elite musicians go um, and, and get to play, and Quoth goes there and just blows everyone away and earns his what's his talent pipes, which basically are, are a free pass for him to be able to earn money with his music. And it's this wonderful, like, cathartic, just just like, yes, moment in the in the book. Yeah, not to mention he earns a big sack of money um, a lot more contacts in town and like, and just everything is looking up. 
Right. Everything's coming up close at this point. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so moving in to, to this, the next chapter, he, he heads back to school. He's flush. He's for once not too worried about money. He, um, he picks his admission slot and, um, right away kind of gets into it with Ambrose. And we forgot to talk about something last week, mm, okay. something important that happened with Ambrose at so the sh- Aeolian. Should we talk about it now? Yes. Did we, we, did we forget to talk about the string? Yes. Oh my, how did we forget we to did talk not about that? Even, we didn't even talk about it. Wow. That's a huge oversight on our part. Right. So, I mean, I don't want to go into a huge revisionist, you know, and relive that whole thing. No, no, no. I just didn't talk to you about it yet. So, like, what was your impression of that and how, you know, how did you react to that? Um, it seems like it was so long ago. I don't, (laughs) I don't know. So, Um, so what happened was, you know, as Quoth is playing and his string breaks, um, and he finishes the song anyway, huge triumph. And, um, later he finds out that Ambrose, left suddenly after that happened with what could have been possibly a case of the binder's chills. And so Quoth um, speculates that Ambrose was behind the broken spring, string. Yeah, and I feel like that's fairly clear. Like, I don't Probably. even feel like that's speculation i mean right. well i mean it's it's speculation on his part but yes you're you're right it probably yeah. so yeah ambrose is ticked at this point yeah because he made this huge effort to sabotage him you know and it, and it took a lot of effort on his part and then ultimately not only did it not sabotage him it only helped the legend grow exactly but um i think what was most interesting to me about that and i remember thinking this and i'm really surprised we didn't bring it up because Ambrose behaved differently when he saw Quoth there prior to him playing in that unlike any other time he would go up and would you know give him a hard time try and put him down but he didn't which led me to believe that he somehow knew he was going to be there without you know that that somebody tipped him off that he was going to be there and was going to play so to me that that was sort of a telling thing and uh, you know that it just leads me to believe that there's somebody out there who's kind of spying on Ambrose's behalf, that what Ambrose is doing to track and confound and plot against Quoth is far more than what to that point was immediately apparent. And it becomes more apparent in these chapters. Uh, right. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't, I've never thought of it that way. I think that's certainly a possibility. I read it as Ambrose was maybe out of his element or just, just, it was the change of environment, but you, you certainly could be right there. Um, but, but either way, as like chapter 60 opens and Ambrose runs into Quoth at the admissions lottery things are like rife for a confrontation and they have a, they have a back and forth and then things just kind of go their way. But you can tell that this is the situation between them is um, coming to a head. Yeah. And it's just another one of those things where Ambrose tries to say something to put him down and quote, once again, gets the better of him and in public. And it's just another, you know, it's another straw on the back of the camel. Right. And again, Quoth um, reinforces that when he's talking to his friends that he really believes that there's nothing Ambrose can really do to him, yeah. you know, um, so he feel he feels really safe here. So that's kind of the first thing that happens. He he like you said, he's 
once he has found Denna again, he pretty much <laughs> this whole section, every chance he gets, he's going back to Imre to look for her. Um, so right after that, he goes back, he looks for her. Um, he runs into Count Threp again, mm-hmm. and we find out that Threp, um, unfortunately, is not going to be able to be his patron because he is has it? three other yeah. musicians he's sponsoring. So that's kind of out. And um, he also runs into Diok, and Diok kind of warns him off about Denna a little bit. Yeah. Now, is it Threp or is it Threpe? I believe it's Threp. Threp. I think we're going to go with Threp. I, I okay. feel like that was confirmed. Gotcha. Okay, we'll go but with it. Um, please, uh, anyone, we are we are open to feedback about these pronunciations. So that's in chapter 61. Just one more thing, in, or actually a couple things real quick in chapter 60. Right. So when he, um, when he actually goes... Oh, no, I'm sorry. That wasn't in 60. I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, but when he goes to uh, the Aeolian and he sees Diok, Diok says, you know, we have your lady here. Mm-hmm. And he's, he just thinks Denna instantly and what Dayok means is his loot right and you know we were talking last week about like how his loot was like his you know was like a child to him it was you know he was willing to change his whole plan and strategy around this loot and then when but he's disappointed when it come when he finds out that it's a loot and not dinner. Good call. Just kind of stacks out and shows you where the priorities are. And and I think we see more of that as this unfolds, you know, kind of where, you know, what his priorities are in terms of what there's a lot of different storylines going on right now and, you know, things that we started in the beginning we haven't talked about and, you know, like the Chandrian and it all kind of stacks out here at the end, I think. You're right. Because we were talking last week about how he wasn't willing to part with his blood for the sake of his education, but for the loot he was. He and it. now we see that the loot is actually number two. Yeah, correct. Compared to that ass. <laughs> <laughs> that Denna ass. Wow, you went there. Number we may one. have teenagers listening I'm to this. Sorry. So. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's, that's okay. It's all right. It's really late. It is. It is late. We'll do our best. We'll do our best to make it PG-13. Um, so he sees Threpe. We go into chapter 61, and that's where they're talking about the patron. Um, and let's see. That That's also when he and Threp make up the song Jackass, Jackass. Jackass, Jackass. Um, it, you know, uh, it, it's just once again how little regard... Quoth has for Ambrose and the seriousness of the situation that he's in, you know, and and this is one of the things that his life in the Edamaru and his life in Tarbian just haven't prepared him for, you know, even as far back as the very first podcast episode, chapters one through six, when his mother is trying to talk to him about how important it is that you treat these nobles with their due respect and he's just like whatever like right you know and here it is you know 54 chapters later and he he hasn't learned that lesson yet well and i wonder if too like it comes from um his whole life moving moving constantly and when i i think about people i know who grew up like that who moved every few years and he was on the go his whole life they they form relationships differently and they, you know, um, they, 
it's not the same consequences when you when you tick someone off because you're you're, you're not going to know them in a few years, you know? That's a good point. You know, people who don't grow up in the same town their whole lives, you know, have a different perspective on yeah, absolutely. Peacemaking. Yeah. yeah, and you can reinvent yourself. Exactly. And you can, you know, if you if you have a just a bad relationship and you botch it up, whether that be an enemy, a friend, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it is, uh, you're just going to get a chance to start over. So you don't really hold a lot of weight in permanent relationships because you don't have any permanent relationships mm-hmm. outside of family. So right. very good observation. Not one I had considered. Hmm. So good one. Okay, so so basically, so jackass, jackass. Um, I can't wait to someday hear a rendition of this song because I hope we will. I hope so too. Quilt and Thrupp write a a scathing um song, which you know pretty blatantly refers to Ambrose, um, and uh, and Quilt gets in a little trouble for it. Well, and it shoots right to um right to number one with a bullet. Exactly. Yes. In town. Yes. It's super Everybody catchy. Loves it. super Everyone catchy. loves it. Yeah. And uh, Quoth gets gets kind of a slap on the wrist. He gets brought in. He gets put on the horns for it. Um, yeah, can we take a can we take a step back actually? Because yeah. something happens before he gets brought to the horns, right? Um, that I thought was was pretty important. Yeah. Um, and that's when he goes to talk to Master Lauren. Yes, and it's very interesting that we see this scene with Lauren in between the the song. And the consequence to the song, this is like sandwiched. Rather than go directly to, you know, him being brought up on the horns for writing this song, there's this seemingly like kind of incongruent scene where he goes and talks to Master Lauren. Yeah, and I'm absolutely in agreement. It was there on purpose, timed that way on purpose. And I and I think consequential, but there was another part of it too that was that was interesting. So so well, just go lay out what the scene is. So so. Quoth goes into the archives because he wants to talk to Master Lauren. Um, And what he wants to do is he wants to do two things. He wants to buy his book, Rhetoric and Logic, back. And he also wants to ask him what he can do to get unbanned from the archives. Right. But before he can do that, somebody, uh, Lauren's in there in the office with somebody else. And the gentleman comes out, and it's a gentleman by the name of Viari, who is a giller who works for Master Lauren. So he he comes up to Quoth and starts speaking in, to him in a language he doesn't understand. Right. And then when when Quoth says, uh, excuse me, you know, he says, Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were whatever. Uh, but now I see that you're one of the one of the Edamaru. Right. And he talks to him like he's an Edamaru and he says, I I'd love to talk to you next time, but then he moves on about. And then uh, Willem says that he is somebody who works in quote acquisitions unquote right so this is a guy who goes out and finds and collects rare books but he's armed to the teeth so i found that very interesting um because either he is very much a you know sort of like sort of like indiana jones was an anthropology professor but he also carried a whip and you know and ran around and like he was james bond at the same time right or He's not really in acquisitions at all, and there's something else going on there. Ooh, good catch. I mean, how many librarians do you know that have a long sword and a long dagger at their hip? 
I mean, that's a good catch. Although, I mean, that being said, Will Willem does kind of say, yeah, that this is not the only one of that. They're, you know, acquisitions. They bring back books. This is what they do. However, it leads into an amazing revelation that I had in reading this. This I don't know what it was. You know, I've read this book several times. This has never occurred to me before. But in reading this scene with Master Lauren again, um, I'm so excited. I could hardly, I, I've been waiting so long to talk about this. <sighs> okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go into it. So get, get your tinfoil hats ready. This is my theory <laughs> about Master Lauren. I'm gonna lay it out for you. Okay. Number one, at Quoth's first admission, Master Lauren, when he hears the name Arladin, that he was Arladin's son, Master Lauren says, Arladin, Arladin the Bard. Now, Quoth is so upset that he feels like he just got rejected that he, he doesn't he doesn't respond to that and except to think that his father had never th- introduced himself as a bard or thought of himself as a bard. Mm -hmm. And then he just goes on this, this whole thing and then never comes back to it. And I was thinking how odd that was that here. Quoth has this, this steel trap of a mind, this perfect memory. And he just kind of lets that go that his, that this professor, that this master has heard of his parents. Okay. Number two, shortly thereafter, Quoth goes into the archives looking for information on the Chandrian and Lauren takes it upon himself to personally come over and discourage him from that and telling him that he, that it's childish and he's going to be um, not well thought of if he continues that course of study. Okay. And then number three, directly thereafter, Quoth um, breaks one of the rules of the archives unknowingly and Lauren bans him completely. And we learn in this section section in one of the upcoming chapters that that you've read that um, this is basically an unprecedented punishment that will will and Sim have never heard of anyone being banned like that. And when people hear that he that Quoth is still banned, it's often said, oh, my gosh, you're still banned. Like what? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so all of these things. So you think what what is going on with Master Lauren? I just thought he was a dick. He's not, I don't think he's just a dick. I think you're right. I think I thought that at first, but then I thought he's one of the Amir or working closely with them. He's like the Giles. He's a watcher. He's a watcher. Yes. He's a watcher for the Amir or one of them or something like that. You know, it makes complete and total sense because who better than the master archivist at the university to make sure that no mention of the Amir is found and it's been mentioned that the Chandrian and the Amir are like 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 it's hard to find any information on them yeah like they've systematically kind of been removed from 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 libraries around the world well and that was what I was going to say I think that's certainly a piece of evidence supporting your theory is that it appears as though it appears as though there is some sort of active, maybe not active, but either way, it appears as though the information is is lost. Right. Um, and you would imagine that the master archivist would know more about the Amir than he appears to. Right. 
because when Quoth asks him about that way back in like chapter 20 or whatever it was, I don't remember exactly what chapter it was, um, Lauren gives him this like like real brief like three sentence explanation. Right. You know, and and you know when Quoth is like, "Are you sure that's everything?" He's like, "Oh yeah, that's it. Nothing, nothing mm, to see here. Nothing to see nothing here. To see here. You know? Definitely not a secret agent of the Amir working yeah. as your master archivist." Yeah, and I and I'm not I'm not gonna go 100 percent all in on your theory, um, but I think it's a solid theory. I think it's a very very solid theory. Um, I think I, if he's not one of them, he is at least connected in some way or working for them. Well, I what I 100% agree with is I do 100% believe that he is deliberately steering him away from it. Right. So so that I 100% am in agreement with you. I mean, it's not it's not to say it's unheard of. Just because you're in charge of a library doesn't mean you know everything that's in your library. Right. You know, um but it just seems to me that in this world in the context of being the archivist for the university where there is magic how would you not know more about the origin stories of where that stuff came from right so to me it it doesn't seem like a scenario where it's you know it's simply that master lorne is interested in other things and doesn't know anything about the aimer i do agree with you i think he's deliberately steering him off the course right and, and i think all that's very very strong evidence for for what you're saying so right i think it's an excellent theory thank you way better than my denna is a fey theory yeah <laughs> <laughs> if you could have been here to see that look <laughs> something's just don't translate in a I podcast don't think she's a fae but i don't really, i respect you i, I don't really think she's you. a fae either <laughs> but not anymore and i'm trying to be open-minded about denna i i really am i'm trying to be more open-minded well we can talk there's we, plenty to talk about with denna oh god so we're already denna. deep into this podcast and we're only in <sighs> uh, we're only two episodes in so all right so let's let's make our way through i think that was a, right. a a great job there highlighting that and i, I definitely think there's some validity to, to what you're saying so okay so quoth and threp they they make a song about ambrose and then quoth goes and talks to lauren the amir and then uh quoth gets in trouble i loved his public apology i'm oh, doing yeah. finger quotes by that um, oh yeah, it was great. It, it was great. So he he makes a public apology, which he include in which he includes a, the complete lyrics to the song, and then like super magic glues them to like every available surface in the university. Yeah, we're yeah we're missing one step of the escalation here because what happens is that um, Threpe is supposed to find him or Threp is supposed to find him a patron. Right. You know because he's still very very concerned about his money situation. Right. That's a huge thing for him. And then he comes back to to Quoth and says, uh, I can't. Uh, your boy Ambrose has soured everybody on you and nobody will take you mm-hmm. out of fear of his father or him or his father, whatever he says. I don't remember. Um, and that's when that's when Quoth is like, all right, fine. He knew he had to make the formal apology anyway. Right. But that's when he decided. Now, he may have done that anyway. But that's when he decided to to do it in the style that he did. 
So once a, once again, he just continues to escalate it. And, and I don't know how I feel about his continued escalation with Ambrose. Because on one hand, it's entertaining. On the other hand, you you don't want your protagonist to kowtow to a rich bully. Like you don't want, you don't want to see that exactly. And I think that's part of what makes Quoth appealing as a character. I mean, that's part of this character that we really like. You know, um, that he is, you know, kind of brash and cocky, and and isn't going to let someone walk all over him like that but the other side of that coin is that it's incredibly foolish and that he escalates it at every turn so not only does he rebuff him not only he he takes every opportunity to escalate it and and i just don't know how i stand about it or how i feel about it because well i've given you kind of the pros and the cons i i i don't want to see him tuck his tail between his legs at the same point in time this is gonna. This is gonna. This is gonna potentially be the death of him. You know, th- this right here could potentially be the death of him. You know, and I wonder how much of that reaction comes from the way that Patrick Rothfuss tells this story, in that we already know that this has a sad ending. We already he kind of puts it right out there that this story ends with him basically like becoming a shadow of his former self running an inn in the middle of nowhere. With you know? a price on his head. With a price on his head. So, you know, it gives the whole story this kind of the tragic pall that, like, mm-hmm. you know the shoe is going to drop. So you enjoy the triumphs, but every little thing he does like that, you know, you're like, well, that's it. That's the thing that's just going to... Mm-hmm that's going to ruin everything. How can he be so stupid? But because we've seen the end of the narrative already, you know, and because he continually tells us, yeah, I thought Ambrose was, couldn't do anything to me, but boy, was I wrong. I was a fool. Yeah. That's a good point. It does cast it in a certain light. Uh, And, and once again, to his credit in the narrative, he highlights I was foolish. I was an idiot. Yeah. But yeah. I wonder if you'd have the same child. reaction child. if we were just reading the story in chronological order. I tend to think no. I tend to think you're right. I tend to think we would be like, yeah, you stick it to that uppity bastard. Like mm-hmm. That's what we would. Right. That's what we would think. Because he's like, know? he's just the humperdink of this world. Yeah. And you know, y- you don't up until this section, you don't really realize that he has teeth. Now you hear you hear some stories, but it's not until this section that you realize just how much of a problem he can cause for quote. So so what does he do? Tell tell us what he does. So the in first thing we, we already said is that he he goes he makes it impossible for quote to find a patron. Now when money is such a massive massive part of the whole middle of this book. And it's a huge motivating issue for Quoth. He makes foolish decisions over and over again simply because he does not have money. So taking away his ability to have a patron is a huge, huge chess piece that Ambrose just played in their little tit-for-tat war. Um, So then Quoth says, okay, uh, he's going to go from in. He's just going to go to an inn and try and find a job, uh, a job working at an inn where he can play for room and board, so he doesn't have to pay a talent uh, to sleep in the muse. Plus, he, you know, it's just better for him overall. Um, so he finds a nice 
well-to-do in where he's able to do that and looks like things are going to go well for him. He doesn't have a he doesn't have a patron, but he's got a place to live. He doesn't have to pay for it. He'll make a little bit of money playing here and there. He'll have a chance to meet people. What does Ambrose do? At this is after he posts all the apology letters, is he makes it so that every inn, I mean, he buys the inn where he was at. He buys, buys it the inn just to fire him. Yep. And then he threatens or cajoles or twists the arm of all the other innkeepers in the area. And there must be a ton of inns in the, in this city um, to make sure that nobody will allow him to play for them. When, when this is like a once-in-a-generation type of musician that comes down the line, and that's a big part of how tavern keepers make their money and stay competitive, he must have some serious sway right. to convince every damn one of them not to do it. But and, luckily, Quote does find one. And, and just to clarify, actually, the, the public apology um, comes after um, Ambrose pulls this with all the innkeepers. Does it? I thought it was... Yes, I, I had to okay. like I had to turn to the page myself right here, but um and to look it up. So Okay, gotcha. Okay. You know, um it, it is kind of more of a back and forth escalation. Yeah, gotcha. You okay. know, um But that I mean, I feel like the whole back and forth thing with Ambrose is a is one of the main things in this section. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think we've summarized it well so we can kind of, you know, get past it until we get to sort of the climax of mm-hmm. the end. Um, but it's a big, big, big part of it. You know, it's a, a through line that carries through this whole section here. Um, just this Ambrose definitely has narcissistic personality disorder. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah. And and you can just see this in people who, who are narcissists. You know, they any injury to their pride or that, you know, they have this huge dissociation between who they are and who they think they should be. Mm-hmm. And any blow to their pride w- is met with just exceedingly excessive force. Well, and that's and re- exact, retaliation. That's, that's and that's exactly, exactly what, what happened. Yeah. You know, he sees Ambrose coming on to, to, to fella, fella, fella. I'm saying fella. Fela. That's what I'm saying. I kind of like it. In my head, it was always fella. Uh, chime in, listeners. Is it Fela? Fela? It's Fela. Fela? Until somebody corrects us. All right. Anyway, a- Ambrose is coming on to her and Quill steps in and, and says something smart to him. And that is kind of like what sets off the whole thing, this narcissistic mm-hmm. injury, and then it just escalates and escalates. So um, I forget where I was going with that. I don't know. We kind of we kind of derailed our Sorry, chronological order nerd. to um, talk more about kind of this specific through line right um, yes yeah. so so they the ends so he is kicked out of every inn except for anchors and i just love anchor yeah you know me he's too. a great yeah, character yeah. yeah he is anchors like screw that guy he doesn't own me he doesn't own me um and uh and, and he kind of takes both in just to just to twist ambrose's nose and also because it's good for business but um yep so Quoth now, kind of finds a home there. Yeah, he does. And so now he's at Anchors, and that's where he's staying. And his only real means of making money, because everything else has been taken away from him, is through his work in the fishery. He has to become, you know, kind of an artificial or a, an official artificer, right? Uh, so that he can create and then be able to sell things. That's his only kind of way of making money. So Ambrose has really robbed him of of something pretty important. Especially when he owes money 
to Debbie and Debbie has his blood. She does. You know, so I, that's a significant thing. Pretty significant. Um, and then the other major through line that we would kind of be getting to chronologically in this section as well is all the stuff that happens with Denna. Yes. Yes. So, so what comes up next, we're, we're up to chapter 62 now called Leaves. And um, we have a scene in the fishery where uh, Kilvin is teaching them about bone tar. Correct. Yeah. And bone yeah. tar is um, super caustic, explosive, crazy, magical, going to kill everybody stuff. Exactly. In the words of Mane, it is a cascading, huge goddamn fire. So, uh, yep. you know, you know, that's going to come back eventually, you know, just like introduce a substance like that. I mean, I, you read that chapter and you're like, oh, that stuff's going to get out <laughs> somehow. It's going to get out. It's not going to be good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know what's going to happen. But uh, so, yeah, we, we kind of like like, oh, hey, here's this really horrible substance. And yep. now back to our story. Now back to uh, our story. Back and to back to Denna. Well, and Quoth is playing at Anchors mm-hmm. um, and he's, you know. In the middle of his first set, you know, right right after the power ballad before he starts to ramp it back up and get everybody right. dancing. And who walks in but it's Denna. It's Denna. And he cleverly finds a way to, to get everybody singing a long, long, long round so that he can kind of... He doesn't sneak out. He tells Anchors what he's doing, but he, mm-hmm. he leaves with, um, with Denna and they have their little walk and talk. And the next... Five chapters. <laughs> Five chapters. He still doesn't get a kiss. Basically, quoth mooning over this chick. You know this whole this whole section for whatever reason really has a very Buffy the Vampire Slayer feel to it. It kind of does. I don't know quite why, but the the stuff with Lauren as a watcher and mm-hmm. and just the whole thing where like they keep missing each other and things happen i mean not that that's exclusive to buffy it's certainly not but for whatever right. reason it just sort of reminds me of that it's, I don't know it why. is it's very um well and one thing i i was i it's been so interesting during this reread because i i've read this book a, a bunch of times but i usually just blow through it and i've never sat down and like taken notes on each chapter so it has me examining my reactions versus just having them Mm -hmm. and one of those is that i really freaking hate denna like i just every time the character you know there are just certain characters like for me um especially like when i'm reading uh um george r R. martin and like his his books are like each each character has a chapter and there are certain characters that like their chapter comes up and you're like oh like sansa (laughs) oh god some of us like Sansa. Some, I, you know what? Some of us like Sansa. Not me. But um, <laughs> Sansa's growing on me. She is. Off topic. That's how I feel about Denna. Denna's name comes up in this book, and I'm like, oh, God. This is going to be boring annoying. Failey. So anyway, it's got me just thinking about, like, hey, why why do I react that way? And, like, what is it? Like, and so I'm trying to come up with this, like, top five reasons I hate Denna list and top five reasons why Denna's the worst. Did you come up with five? I I did not come up with five. I was... So you yeah, don't even hate her enough to come up I, with five reasons. It's crazy. It's, I'm, I'm hoping maybe I'll come up with another one while I'm talking right now. 
But it's just so interesting to look at my reaction to this character and try and figure out why do I have it? Because when I, I look at exactly the dialogue and what does she do and what does she say, it doesn't make sense. Like she's not as annoying on the page as she is in my head or, and I, so I've got some thoughts. I have a top four. So top four reasons, reasons. why you hate Denna. <laughs> top four reasons why, Denna. why Elizabeth hates Denna. Reason number four. <laughs> number four. Over to you, Paul. Reason number four. Um, and we are going to see this. Oh gosh. I probably should have really done this. I wish I had a snare drum right I should have done this later, um, but we'll do it now. Because this this comes up later in the chapter when That's um, okay. we are so out of we are chronology. It doesn't matter. We don't need to give a blow by blow. You guys, everybody's read it anyway. It's after ten o'clock. <laughs> ten. <laughs> wow, you are really betraying just what kind of giant pussies we are. To be fair, it's after eleven. Oh Jesus God! <laughs> All right, here we go. Top five reasons. Top four reasons I hate Denna. Number four, and, and this comes up later when uh, Dioc and. And Kvothe are, are getting drunk and, and moping about how awesome Denna is and they just can't get get a piece of that. Um, and, and Diox says, you know, poor Denna, she's so lonely because all women hate her. All of them. They all hate her. Her mother hated her. Oh, God. So as a woman, I'm therefore, obviously, that's why I hate her because I can't help it. I Because all the other ones I have a, a vagina. I, I <laughs> apparently hate Denna. God, don't let your teenagers listen to this one. I'm sorry, guys. So anyway. Um, Megan, st- <laughs> stop Alex from listening to this. But um, yeah, so it's like a gut reaction to that that type of character, that type of like, oh, I can't have any, any women friends because uh, women are all jealous of me, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, I, I don't know. Every girl has known a girl like this in her life. That's like, oh, I don't get along with women because because I'm just so pretty that that women don't like me. And generally, that's not true. Um, I have lots of incredibly pretty women friends who I like very much. Um, who get along with other women. Who get along with other women. Quite well. So in my experience, if there's a woman in real life who is incredibly pretty and doesn't get along with other women, it's because she's kind of a bitch. Hmm. You know, I, I mean. Not just, because she's pretty. It, yeah. So anyway, but again, but this is not this character saying that about herself. This is Dioc saying it about her. And we don't really have any evidence one way or the other whether or not that's true. Exactly. So so again, and we know that Denna moves a lot. We know that Dioc only sees her in one context, which is when she's in his bar and yeah. probably is being brought there by men. So we don't really know what well, Denna's and, relationships with other women are and like. And on the caravan, I can't remember the lady's name. Yes. But the caravan, the wife of Rowent. Yes. Um, Revy or something. I can't remember her name was. But anyway, she she seemed to like her just fine. It, right. Like she and Dana, she was very protective over Dana. Dana got, got along with her just fine. And uh, Dana, you know, so so you think because that's how Dioc describes her that she's maybe one of these chicks who's just kind of all over every guy, you know, constantly has to flirt with everyone. But when you look at her actions... That's not necessarily true. Well, I will say that when you look at a lot of her actions, she is very flirty. That's right, not right, but that's not necessarily something that uh, she keeps things in appropriate boundaries. Ab- absolutely, you know, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not 
saying that you know flirting is somehow a negative thing but but that's one that's one behavior you could point to and say well she is very flirty right because but but cloth is very flirty and this kind of brings me to my point number three on my list of top number three top four reasons i i hate denna number three and i think it's that denna exhibits many of the qualities that quoth exhibits but that we forgive in him yeah because we have while you know and again in in chapter 69 i believe it is that that quoth and, and diak are like psychoanalyzing denna and and diak is going on and on about how hard denna's life has probably been and you're like maybe that's meant to make you kind of be like oh yeah i understand her now but there's a difference between being shown that as we were with quoth and we were with him every brutal step of his childhood. So we understand why he is secretive. We understand why he puts up walls and kind of pushes people away. And I think it's very tricky to write a character that puts up walls when you don't show people why they're like that. If you tell them why they're like that. They come across like Denna. They come across, yeah. Yeah. They they come across as unlikable. Yeah, and this was the number one kind of thing that I thought of through this whole section is I sort of thought that perhaps Denna is kind of an intentional female analog for Quoth, with the exception that sort of sort of as a way of showing that if you had if you had been introduced to Quoth in the same way that you were introduced to Denna, you would probably feel the same way about him. You're right, because it's the the lack of communication. So the the scenes with Denna... And what's been earned. Yes, exactly. So the scenes with Denna always end up being frustrating. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, well, why doesn't... You can tell she's into him. Why doesn't she just say it? And nothing happens, but... And you don't... Like these huge intentional mysteries. Why is she changing her name? And right. all these things, which if you were introduced to to Quoth and, you know, you didn't really know any of the things that happened to him, you would think this guy is just kind of a know-it-all prick, you know? Uh, and he is kind of a know-it-all prick, but he's earned a lot of that. And we go along with him because he's our protagonist because we we see what he's had to suffer through to get where he is, you know, and we don't, we get none of that with her. Right. So I, I sort of feel like it's kind of an intentional mirror. You know, I don't know if, if that, if it was really intentional, if that was the purpose of it. Um, but it sort of looks that way to me. Uh, you know, I, I kind of agree with you. Um, that's, that's a really good point. You know, it reminds me, and this just crossed my mind, uh, with all the name changing thing, you know, the, another character that we love dearly who went through hell, who changes her name all the time is Arya Stark. What would, if we had only ever met Arya Stark in the, you know, as Squab or Cat of the Canals, and we never really saw any of the things that got her to that point, we would have a very, very different opinion of that character than we do when we follow her around from place to place to place to place, like what happens in the book. You know, I just think the she doesn't have the benefit of having any real narrative behind her. Yeah, and that's it. And I think that um, I, I think that the fact that um, Quoth is at his worst 
when it comes to Denna. And this is, I think, kind of my reason number two. And it goes along with number three. (laughs) Is that that the second I see Denna's name on the page, you know it's going to be like, oh, maybe charming conversation, but there'll be some kind of misunderstanding. And just like this, it just like embodies that frustrating young teenager like love thing you get in that infatuation but it never you know and um it kind of goes back to what you were talking about that that Buffy the Vampire Slayer feel and I I do I feel like there's a lot of that in that show um that kind of I want this one but he's unattainable for some weird (laughs) reason and so so Denna is Angel oh my god (laughs) you're right Denna is Angel Yes. Please don't have a spinoff for her. Oh, God. You know what? That spinoff was not that. It wasn't that it bad. It really was actually got pretty good towards the it end. It wasn't that bad. I agree with you. Uh, he was much better when he got off of that, off of Buffy. Yes. When he learned how to act. Right. I mean, just take some people time to learn how to act. David Boreanaz turned into a halfway decent actor, which, right. you know, maybe we should have given Hayden Christensen the t- no, a chance. No, please. I can't. I can't <laughs> even talk about that tonight. It's too late. I can't talk about Hayden Christensen. Oh, Lordy. Reason number one. Okay. <laughs> Reason number one that I hate Denna is that I've realized in this reread that Denna just reminds me of some female character tropes that I hate. She really isn't one of these characters, but she reminds me of them. And there's two of these. Give them to me. Okay. So there's your number there's your number five. It's just hidden in there. It's really one A and one B. I that mean, works. when I wrote it out in outline form, I couldn't, I felt like it was dishonest <laughs> to call it five reasons. Because really, this is like a subdivision. I just love that you wrote it out in outline Look form. Look at this. It is literally in an outline form. It is. It, I'm looking <laughs> at it. <laughs> okay. So one A, the two, the two kind of female characters that I hate that turn up all the time in fantasy novels, which there just aren't a lot of. I mean, they're male character heavy, okay? The fantasy the, genre The genre is. overall, yeah. So the fact that many of the female characters fit into one of these two, like, really annoying tropes is just tough as a woman. Yeah. It's getting better, I think. Yeah, and, and it's not to say that there aren't good, fleshed out, you know, actualized female characters. It's just that there's a lot of bad female characters. Right. All right, so, so female character that I hate, number one, and I call her Pedestal Girl, Okay, so (laughs) she is the female character that the that the male lead character is completely entranced by. She's the embodiment of everything that is beautiful. We'll spend two paragraphs talking about the nape of her neck or or the way whatever her hair smells. Okay, and she everything she does is just astoundingly clever and amazing. But she doesn't actually do anything that clever and amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And you're like waiting for her to actually do something that earns her, you know, this worship of her. And it doesn't And it happen. just never comes through. And you're like, ah, it's so frustrating. So, so example of this is uh, Faley in Wheel of Time. Yay. Light. She's a hawk. Like <laughs> how many times does parents say that? Oh, goodness. <sighs> she's a bitch. I'm sorry. She just like... And I'm not sure what she's ever done to earn. I mean, I'm, I'm. I'm she's just been really grumpy, basically. I'm two thirds of the way through this series, and I just she I'm doesn't. Still I'm sorry. For I, spoiler, spoiler. Failey does not get better. She just, 
she does not get redeemed okay so but this whole idea that that i okay i want to write a fascinating female character but my idea of how to make her fascinating and strong finger quotes <laughs> is just to make her really grumpy i mean just to make her argumentative and and really grouchy all the time okay and that's like a lot of people's idea of a of a fascinating strong woman and so like but we just we just put her up on this pedestal and how amazing she is. But really it's like, she just is kind of grouchy. Like, I don't understand that. So when I, so right away, and Denna's introduced as this, you know, perfection woman, you know? And so right away, I'm kind of like, all right, here we go. Here we go. Now I'll go on to, to, and I have something more to say about that, but I will go on to, to sub point point B here the other female character that is often in fantasy novels that I hate and I will call her the I'm not like other girls girl she's not like other girls she's not like the other girls so this is the the female character who is um you know for lack of a better word not like the other girls Okay. Other girls don't look at knives the way you do. Yes, exactly. So this this character tends to, um, you know, other girls always hate them because they're not like them. They always like knives. Yeah. They hate never, dresses. never wears a dress. A what? Except for except for like that one time that she has to wear a dress because she has to sneak into a party and everyone's gonna and hear about everyone, it. Everyone and she's like dress. I what is this garment? I can't even figure out how to put it on my body. She dr- falls down when she wears I, it. Oh, it's so complicated. Like, <laughs> I can't. What is that? I don't even know the word. Dress? What is a dress? I've never seen a D how and an do R women together. wear these things? Like, yeah. And I'm like, dude, like, dresses are comfortable. Okay. Why do you got a bag on like women who like to wear dress? You yeah. know, they're I, for me, it's more comfortable than like crotch strangling like pants well I if mean, you think about it that's just a bad tactic for any writer to use to create a character who belongs to a particular gender but her one defining characteristic is she's not like all the other people who belong to that gender exactly you're just and somehow that's asking like to alienate three and a half billion people yeah <laughs> that like that like i'm not like other girls feminism like like, oh, I'm such a strong character because I'm not what's considered traditionally feminine. Because anything, I don't bake pies. You know, and you never see it on the other side. You don't have some like dude character, but who's like really into crocheting and all like the chick characters think he's really hot, you know? <laughs> I've never seen a man look at a stupid like you eyelash do. extensions. I mean, <laughs> it's just like. You're right. I can't think. Right? I can't think of one. Is there one. a single male character like that? I can't think of one. Maybe he's out there, but I don't know. He's not like other boys. He's not like the other boys. <laughs> he picks does, window treatment. Wait a minute. Is does Loris Terrell count? You know what? I lied. You're right. There isn't. He's not like the other boys. Boy. He's not like the other boys. He was really not like the other boys, though. Hmm, okay, well, all right, so maybe there's one. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. Renly Baratheon. And good on you, George R. R. Martin, for flipping that trope on its head. I, I appreciate that. Me too, yeah. Anyway, so a- examples of the I'm not like other girls girl are men from Wheel of Time. 
man, poor Robert Jordan Ugh, just could not I'm write so, female characters. I love Robert Jordan. Again, I always have to dis, you know, disclaimer, I love these books, but... I'll be over here folding my hands, my arms underneath my breasts. Cross your arms underneath your breasts and sniff, <laughs> okay? And tug my braid. Because I'm not like the other girls, okay? <laughs> um, and... and and I, oh God, I recently read a, a a series of books with one of these characters in it, and um, literally, literally had the the conversation. One of the male characters said to her, "Other women don't look at knives the way that you do," and she literally said, "I'm not like other girls." <laughs> and I was like, "What? Why? Why? Uh. Why do you do this to me, writers?" <laughs> Anyway, it's fine. So all that being said, and that's my and and that was my revelation in this reread is that I have this knee jerk reaction to when a female character is described as, you know, the perfectest, the best, the most clever, you know, that I I kind of I'm expecting this. I'm expecting this trope. When I sat down really and started more carefully reading these this book and this section, I realized that no, you know, I, I'm not sure that Denna fits that. Like she actually does have, I mean, she's got some clever dialogue, you know. Um, yeah, she's got some some characteristics where you wish she would communicate better, but you can certainly kind of understand. So I still kind of have that reaction to her, but it's been interesting to start to kind of work through that yeah. a little bit. That, I feel like a weight's been lifted. Well, I'm good, sorry. I'm glad. Thank you. Thank you for listening to all that. I'm, gl- I'm glad you were able <sighs> to get that off your chest. You, you know, other girls would have. <laughs> her mouth. <laughs> I'm sorry. So I'm gonna I'm gonna jump us back into the. Um, let's talk. Yeah, let's go the, back to the, the book. chronology here. All right. Um, however, I, I just want to say, good rant. Thank you. I I feel ten pounds lighter over here. Good rant. That was a quality rant. All right. Um. So we, we've kind of gone through, you know, a couple of the major through lines here, Denna and Ambrose, okay? Right. Um, but I'm going to jump us back into the action. And the action I'm going to talk about is in Chapter 66, and that is when the fishery explodes. There is a cascading huge goddamn fire. Goddamn fire. In the fishery. In the fishery. Pretty major plot point there. Pretty, pretty big plot point. And a pretty point. exciting scene. And a scene where we get to see Quoth just, just hero it up. Yeah, he Full really, on badass. He really did. And it was good to me from, from this angle. So we're still very early in these books. And like explaining how Quoth knows everything and how he's a genius and how he's a great musician. Like I feel like that's earned feeling i don't yet feel like quoth as the badass warrior is earned interesting but you you can see a little bit now of just kind of his heroic nature and you can and maybe this is the beginning so i have i have confidence that it's going to become earned but it hasn't been earned yet but here's the here's the beginning of him showing Awesome heroism. So not only does he rescue uh, Fela um, through, you know, using his wits, but he also uses sympathy to break one of the lamps that, you know, he was able to... Drench. Oh, okay. However he did it. Right. But but he, um, 
He used the drench to put the water on the cloak so he could get through without mostly getting burned, but... But he used the sympathy to, to break, break the, the drench. drench. Is that what it was? I wasn't 100% sure. Okay. The way I understand it is the drench is, you know, big, twice toughened glass thing of water oh, with gotcha. a spout, mm-hmm. but that there was no way for, for him to soak himself quickly enough under the spout. So that's why he did it, um, yeah. So he broke it so that it would soak him completely. Yeah, and how he was able to use sympathy in a very quick, right. you know, action-oriented, split-second sort of moment to be able to break this glass, which... You know, which Kilvin says, no way in hell you were able to do that. You know, so that was interesting. And he re- he rescues Fela. Um, and it's one of those things that you could kind of see it coming. But it was still super exciting to watch. Right. Right. You know, and even though you could you knew something was going to go wrong there, mm-hmm. you knew that something was going to go wrong with the bone tar. Because like I said, it was it was put out there. You know, it wasn't for for no reason. And then when you knew he was supposed to meet Denna the next day at noon you knew that wasn't going to happen. Right. <laughs> Something had to happen, you know? <laughs> and um, so as I'm watching it and he's like, what's going on with this barrel? It seems like it's, I'm like, okay, here we, mm-hmm. here we go. But um, but it was still a really cool scene anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, and he wakes up in the in the hospital after it's all over with Mola? Yes. With Mola, you know, kind of tending to his wounds and his friends coming in to visit him. And he basically like hops off the table and runs down to see Denna. Barefoot. B- barefoot. With, covered in burns. Covered in burns. Like, <laughs> like he really wants him some Denna. Right. Got to get that Denna. Right. So that was sort of interesting. And then he he ends up in the um, anchors. He ends up in anchors and he hears people talking about. Oh, wait, wait. Can we just stop there? Yeah, please Because he does one thing in between the two okay. because I just thought this was hilarious. He goes out there. Denna's not there. He limps back, goes back to the fishery, and finishes the emitters he was working on yeah. when the whole thing went down because he needs the money. He's yeah. He didn't. He didn't care that it's half burned. He's freaking barefoot, covered in burns. The fishery is completely empty because yep. no one in their right mind is there. It takes him twice as long because he's got bandages on his thumbs. <laughs> And and not only that, but it's dangerous as hell. It's broken glass everywhere. He's barefoot. I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean. It's just so funny. Gotta make that paper. And then he and Kilvin, I think, have a nice scene where they they, uh, impress each other. And uh, they get to each kind of tell each other. So we learn that Kilvin's got some chops. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we also learn um, something in here about Elodin as as well. Because Kilvin says, if Elodin had been here... It would have been much simpler because Elodin knows the name of fire. Right. So. Oh, 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 sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. There's something else exciting. Something else exciting. Excite me. It's exciting. Okay. So in my version of this book, this is on page 455, this little bit of dialogue. Uh Uh-huh. It's chapter 67. Um, I don't know, um, you know, what version of the book people are looking at, but in mine, it's on like right in the beginning of chapter 67. So here's the dialogue. Quoth says, you seem in a good mood, Master Kilvin. And Kilvin says, I am. Do you know the saying, Chan Vayan Aidan Cote? I tried to puzzle it out. Seven years. I don't know Cote. 
So I caught that too. Did you catch that? I did catch were you that. Gonna, yeah. Were you going to bring it up? I actually didn't have it in my notes. I caught it in the reading, but for some reason I didn't write it down. So did you kind of like sort out what you think? No, I didn't. I just caught it and said, aha, I, you know, just file that away for future reference, but I didn't really. Right. Well, when I was looking at it, okay, so the sentence that Kilvin, so what Kilvin says that the um, sentence means is expect disaster every seven years. So for Kilvin, he's like, happy because he's been kind of waiting mm -hmm. you know it's been a while since something really bad has happened at the fishery and this is it yeah and it wasn't that bad so he's kind of like relieved so but the the word coat caught my eye this time through because as we know that's what quoth ends up calling himself yeah and maybe that's a coincidence maybe not but <clears throat> i tend if, to think it's not i tend the, to think there's no coincidences right so if the sentence is chan van aden coat Okay, and Quoth says seven years. So we, uh, so I am assuming that Chan Vayan is seven means seven years. Sounds about right. Because Chan, we know that there are seven Chandrian. Yeah, which really only gives us two possibilities for what coat can mean. Right. Either expect or more likely disaster. disaster. Yeah. So I just thought that was very interesting. And I'm betting that the word coat means disaster. And that's why he picked that name for himself. Yep. After the disaster. Boom. Sorry. Well, you were dropping so many bombs. On I'm, I got, I have got my tinfoil hat on this. Shined week. up and polished. It's ready. So many theories. All right. I'm I, sorry. Go on. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> So, um, so then we get into chapter 68. We're going to move on. Yes. Um, and that's where he goes to the Aeolian. He meets with Fela, who thanks him with a cloak and a kiss. Mm -hmm. um, but then is in the back or, or walks in. Oops. Oops. More teen drama. <sighs> you know, more, more my so-called life. Yes. Yes. Angela and Rayanne and. <sighs> Jordan Catalano. Jordan Catalano. Denna is Jordan Catalano. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she totally is stop the stop the podcast <laughs> this is this is our last podcast <laughs> I, I just don't i don't think we can get any better than this so i'm calling it now oh my goodness so so dennis storms off and then this is also the time, and frankly, I'm I'm kind of kind of done talking about that. Um, right, I'm sorry. The the more important stuff. Oh, you don't have to apologize. It, it's more it's more to do with Denna than it is with you by far. Um, right, right, exactly. It gets old. Although I'm not nearly as harsh on her as you are. Um, I think we're coming to to the middle on that actually, because I'm I'm becoming more annoyed with it the mm -hmm. more I the more I talk about it, and I think you're coming to more of a realization that. You know, it's not as bad as you kind of had it in your head. But anyway, right. um, the thing that I, I really liked about this chapter, and it's it's one of my favorite, it probably is my favorite section of the whole the whole uh, part that we read this week, mm -hmm. is the stuff with Ari. Um, yeah. And Ari's one of my favorite characters so far that we've met. Yeah. And he, you know, so Quoth gets up off the table, he's running around, he's got all these things to do, and then... When he is, you know, getting to ready to leave um, the Aeolian, he's like, oh, crap. All that all that bone tar and all that stuff went down into the drains. 
and Ari lives under there. Like, oh, oh, Jesus, I can't believe I, I forgot about that, you know? And I think when it comes to Ori and all of her scenes, we see the very best of Quoth. If for me, when when I know yeah. it's a Denna scene, we're gonna see him at his worst. I think with Ori, or his most teenage vapid annoyingness. Right. Well, okay. Yeah. He's not at his worst because his worst yeah. is when he's dealing with Ambrose. Well, I don't. You know what? I would respectfully disagree. I kind of enjoy the scenes with Ambrose, um, it, and do not enjoy the scenes with Denna. Fair, fair point. I'm, I'm kind of thinking of something else. I kind of spat spat that out there. Right. It's not quite what I'm thinking of, but I'll put my finger on what I'm thinking of later. But I think we can agree that with with Ori, or Ari, I think Ari, Ari, with Ari, he's at his best. We yeah, see the best of his character. I agree. He's yeah. truly he, he. There's nothing for him to gain in his interactions with her. It's truly kind of an altruistic. Yep. Um, relationship. Just compassion for the sake of it. Right. Right. You know, because he, he likes her for whatever reason. He does. And I think in a way it's him being able to reach back and have compassion on himself for when he was homeless in Tarbian and um, for compassion on all the other students who have cracked and who are living locked up in, in mm-hmm. the crockery. Absolutely. So it, it really is just kind of um, a lovely part of his character. Yep. So he takes Mola to go check on her. Um, and fortunately, she knocks she's... the socks off of Mola. You know, Mola wants a piece of that after. Oh, yeah. After um, that encounter. Oh, of course. Yeah. Because his voice is like thunder. Like thunder. Um, and so thankfully, Ari is uninjured. Uh, she gives Quoth a coin, which is absolutely going to come back. So we can make that prediction number one. Okay. Um, I don't know what it means, but it's going to come back. And then Quoth gives her salt and a couple of other things just because again he's just concerned about her but my one of my my favorite line of this whole thing and i kind of don't know why it's my favorite line um but she says something about you know what is what's in the salt or what is it made of Mm -hmm. and he said it's made of the dreams of fish and sailor songs Mm -hmm. and i I just thought that was super sweet and i don't Mm -hmm. i don't know why it struck me so much but um but that was just my favorite line i just stopped there and i was like oh that's awesome. Right. You know? um, so I like that a lot. And then he starts to ask her, so what happened? You know, did you see the fire? Did you breathe the smoke? You know, and um, she goes on and, uh, you know, just basically dismisses his concerns. Um, but she says, oh, you know, it smells like catfish piss down in the belows. Mm-hmm. And that caught me because belows is capitalized. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, it was something else in the belows. I don't ever Downing. What, the downing and the belows. And I don't, know what either of those are but they're capitalized things so they're proper nouns to her um but one of the things i've suspected is that and and it maybe it's just you know years of playing dungeons and dragons but that that great in where she lives is much much larger than we would anticipate you know and that perhaps there's a lot of things that are buried underneath the university that people have probably even entirely forgotten about. And um, I think it's later, no, it's earlier that Quoth is able to basically trick Manet into revealing that there is a secret passage into the archives. Dun, dun, dun. And I suspect that that's how he's going to find it. 
That's a good suspicion. That's my suspicion. Good that suspicion. Some, somehow that's going to, how he's going to find it. So, I mean, it could, the, the belows and mm-hmm. the downing could be anything. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of the stab I'm taking. Right. Yeah. That's, those are all very good speculations. Part, part of what led me to believe that too is that, she, so when he starts to tells Mola not to leave, she says his voice is like thunder and his hands know every secret hidden deep beneath the cool, dark earth. So it, it's just interesting to me that she talks about him in these sort of subterranean terms. Now, is that because she exists in a subterranean world? Or is that because it's some sort of foreshadowing that there's something important underneath it there that Quoth is going to be able to learn secrets in the deep, deep underneath? We'll find out. I tend to think it's foreshadowing. So Time will tell. Time will tell. Time and pages. Time and pages. So, on chapter 69... Getting drunk with Dioc. And there's a lot that happens in this chapter. I was taking notes is, on this chapter and yeah. it just kept kept going and going. And it's a lot of notes. Um, yeah, a lot. You're right. Yeah, and it kind of jumps happens. around a bit. So, um, things are starting to get a little better for Quoth at the beginning of the chapter. Um, he's, he's made a little bit more money. I think it seems like his um, schedule is... Uh, loosening up a bit but denna has dropped off the face of the earth mm-hmm. after seeing him you know and it's been a long time now apparently cozy with with uh Fela, you yeah. know um and, and you know when we look at it from denna's perspective you know that's a, of course a very frustrating scene for us from quilt's perspective but yeah. from her perspective you know this guy's giving her the runaround he's giving her the runaround now he's hooking up with other chicks exactly Exactly. So, okay, we'll, um, we're, we're done. We're done yeah. bagging on Dana. Yeah, because that, that's sorry. not really the, I mean, so, I mean, the interesting stuff about it from the Dana perspective, and, and we'll be done with it, is that we do get, from Dayok's perspective, so with that caveat, we do get a little bit more, we finally get any kind of inkling of back right. story on right. her. You know, and who knows how true and it is. And it's largely speculative. C- correct. Yeah. So, we again, how much you can you know, trust it. We don't know, but it's one of those things where, you know, uh, a puddle, you know, a puddle's a river in the desert, right? You know, so like when you have nothing, you know, you'll, you'll latch on to this little bit that day gives you, but really the more interesting stuff, uh, from a plot perspective happens after he leaves when he, he gets the sense that he's being followed, but before he can really do anything about it, he's got two dudes on him and one with a knife pointed at his ribs. And he quickly realizes that these dudes are not here to rob him. Nope. You know, is if they figure out that he's who they're looking for, they are going to dispatch him good. And, and they are in the possession of some kind of... Um, uh, they call it the finder, and he calls it a dowser. A dowser, like yes. A dowsing that's, rod. Yeah. that's the word I was trying to think of. So they've got a piece of hair, and they are they have some kind of device that will tell them if their target is the person... They're looking for. They're looking for yep. the same person attached to the hair. And they say they've lost him twice already, so mm-hmm. it leads you to believe that they've been, you know, d- going after him for quite a while. The chapter starts by saying it had been two spans, so you know some time has kind of passed, and so ostensibly these guys have been looking for him for quite a while. We believe they were sent there by Ambrose. Pretty—I mean, I think it's 
all but certain that they were sent there by Ambrose? You know, I'm not so certain. Fair point. Um, because I, I think the Ambrose thing is a red herring. In my opinion, this Could is be. just my prediction. Because like of, of one thing that they say, and they talk about having had a mishap in Annalyn. They said they were, they were about to knife him and they said, no, wait, we have to, we double check the finder. We don't want another, he slipped us twice already. We don't want another mishap like there was in Annalyn. Now, point. we know, and Ambrose would know that Kvothe has never been to Annalyn. Well, he would definitely know he's not, he was not in Annalyn anytime recently. Exactly. Yeah. However, when Kvothe was in a caravan heading towards the university, that caravan was heading to Annalyn. To Annalyn. Good so point. My suspicion is that whoever hired these guys has been after Kvothe for longer than he's been at the university. Which really makes it. F- and I think that's why Ambrose so neatly fits into it. Not only all the stuff leading up to it, um, but but because we don't really, there's nobody I can think of from the beginning of his book, of his journey, from the beginning of the book, to the time that he gets on that caravan or gets dropped off at Emory, there's nobody else I can think of who would have the power or the desire to want to take this kid out, it, except for... The Chandrian. Dun, dun, dun. It doesn't seem like a very Chandrian way of doing things. On the other hand, if they suspected he was at the university, that's probably the one place they really don't want to show up. And I just wonder if <clears throat> maybe there's the Chandrian, but maybe there's also a human network surrounding the Chandrian. You know, the Chandrian yeah. are these seven supernatural beings um led by lord haliax mm-hmm. that we who we know is lanray mm-hmm. turned into this lord haliax so what we don't know is are they part of a greater movement and do they have human agents in the world yeah we don't and we don't know that yet and our, my impression of the amir is that they are also some sort of supernatural angel like creatures but that also have human agents in the world and we suspect that because it fits nicely in with our theory that we want to continue with right that lauren's one of them so i yes i just wonder if and and again it's pure speculation if the um this assassination attempt is part of something else i i'm gonna go with the occam's razor Mm -hmm. here and i'm gonna say that it is ambrose and i'm gonna say it's ambrose for for this reason because at the end of i don't know it was chapter 60 or 61 or one of those he says i suspect that's why ambrose tried to have me killed i mean that's true and that's true the other part of it, the the part about we don't want another situation like we had in analin um these guys could be you know this this is not the first time these guys have done this they could have ambrose could have been trying to dispatch somebody else you know that doesn't mean that's true. And there's a lot, you know, they could have been hired in Annalyn. Yeah, correct. Who knows? Yeah. Um, I just felt like that piece of dialogue was not a throwaway. Oh, oh, absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. And it could very well be that, I, I mean, I, I think you're wise not to just assume that it's Ambrose. I mean, I think to me, that's the most plausible scenario. And so I'm going to give that, I'm going to give that 75% 
you know, for me. Right. I think that's what it is. I think that's the most obvious choice. A lot of clues that, that lead you to believe that's what it would be. I don't know, and this is something that may sway me, I don't know how Ambrose got a hold of one of his hairs. On the other hand, you live at the university together. There's probably not that. There's only so many redheads. It wouldn't be difficult for him to get it if he wanted to. Right. Um, so I'm not going to close the door on the idea of it being an agent of the Chandrian or somebody else that we just don't know yet. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say I believe it's most likely Ambrose. Okay. Um. So either way, the these guys are hired by someone, and they killed him right there in the alley. I was really surprised. I didn't think that's how it would end. I, I mean, I thought there would be more. I just. Um. I just, I, I don't, I don't know what to say about These are the jokes I come up with when it's midnight. It's really late. <laughs> All right. Anyway. So if you guys, you guys just, you, you missed a, like the interchange of looks there and. <laughs> I'm not taking that pause out. Why? Because <laughs> our podcast words are, we do, do not, not edit. edit. Anyway. The looks uh, translated said. You say something. Now you say something. I'm not going to say something. I want this to be awkward. (laughs) Okay. So he (laughs) he gets away because... He gets away. He throws some fancy sympathy and stuff out there. Right. Um, You know, brings out some stuff that he had in his pocket, Basat or whatever it was, um, and is able to, you know, ignite it into this kind of... turns into like an improvised flash bomb. Um, which allows him to escape and even try to learn a little bit more about them on the way out. But ultimately, he ends up running back to the inn, has some trouble, but finally makes it into his into his room. And then he ends up out on the roof um, because he wanted to, he was worried that they were going to douse for his hair. So he got the good idea of pulling a lot of his hair out and just sort of setting it loose on the wind so it would go everywhere. But he did that up on one of the roofs, and as he's watching the wind, I thought this was, you know, it was not lost on me um, that this is kind of the beginning of him learning to read and interpret and eventually hopefully learn the name of the wind. That he's out there talking about the, the wind patterns and how he's learning to look through the chaos to see that there's a pattern, but it's an ever-evolving pattern. And just as he's starting to be able to like read it and maybe make some sort of kind of discovery here, moving towards that discovery, Elodin's behind him. And what I thought was interesting is that Elodin says to him, he says, um, you're up studying awful late. Not like, what the hell are you doing up on this roof? Right. You know, and I, I don't think that was a, as much as 90% of what comes out of Master Elodin's mouth is sarcastic. Mm-hmm. I don't take that line to be sarcastic. I take that line to be literal. You know, that he was up there studying the wind, and I think that's what Elodin was doing as well. Right. Um, and then Elodin starts to talk to him and kind of going down the road of, to me, it sounded like Elodin was trying to start to teach him something. But Quoth is in such a weird place, having just been, you know, stabbed and, or cut anyway, 
and run, you know, running around and all the stuff that's going on, not to mention his history with Elodin, that he just can't hear it. Right. He's just not having any of it. Right. You know, he's like, dude, I'm, I'm bleeding from my side. You're wacky. Whatever. I, I'm out of here. That's interesting, but I got, I got to go. Right. And um, that's when he reads the note from Denna. Right. He he. So he goes back to Anchors, and um, he he realizes that Denna left him a note before she booked out of town, mm-hmm. which is more than Quoth ever did for her. Yep. Absolutely. She's try. She's trying to continue the relationship, and because he hasn't been to the inn for days and days and days, of course, it's past the date that they were supposed to meet before he ever even finds it. You know, so once again, in her mind, he's going to look like a dick for standing her up. Right. So, but, um, but what he does is he gets, he kind of gets super paranoid about these guys. He takes a bloody, um, some, a bloody shirt, you know, puts it in a jar, floats it down the river. So thinking, um, if they try to divine for his blood, you know, maybe this will kind of send him off down the road. He ends up sleeping in another inn because he figures they'll probably figure out where he where he lives. Uh, and he wakes up in the next more the next morning, goes out and has some breakfast, and hears some dock worker sailors. I don't know exactly who they were um, talking, and he overhears the conversation. And you hear, you know, blue fire did, killed forty people. You know, and then boom, his ears perk up. And at this moment, the whole story changes. So, yeah, so Quoth has been brought low. He's at one of his kind of lowest points. Things have been, he's had, he's had a bumpy road yeah. since. It's not Tarbian low. It's not it's Tarbian low, low, but, but th- things have been rough. Okay. And now he is feeling like he's on the run. Someone's just tried to kill him. He's uh, in his last pair of shoes. He's been wounded, completely broke. Lost his girl. Lost his girl, and um, Elodin's a nut job. Elodin's a nut job. Not gonna a damn thing from that fool. He's and and we are at this point we are firmly entrenched in the university storyline. That world, yep. he you know his his common his day to day struggles, and um, just like that, bam, the Chandrian are back on the menu. On a dime, everything will change. Everything changes right here. So so all of a sudden, the greater the greater conflict is brought back. Yep. And that, that thread that's just been kind of hanging is is there. And he just, he goes for it. Yeah, he's like... He's not like, oh, gee, I wonder if I should check into that. No. And, and this is where I talked about the priorities thing before because, you know, when it compares to learning stuff at the university or his music, his music takes priority. When it comes to Denna or his music, Denna takes priority. But when all that's on the table and he hears something about the Chandrian, let's put everything else on the shelf. Very good. But you are so astute. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's adorable. You have to live with me. So you have to say that. No, (laughs) I mean it. But, um, you know, he's like, he goes to uh, Devi, you know, asking for a ridiculous loan that we'll get into. But he's like, here, take my loot. Like, yeah, here, take my child. You know, that's like the loot, his book, everything. Yeah. That's like Catalan saying, I, I don't care about Rickon. Rickon's too young. You know, like, 
you know. Nobody likes that one anyway. Nobody likes Rickon anyway. I'm going to King's Landing. Um, <laughs> you know, so he's like, here, here's my loot. Here's, here's, um, you know, logic and rhetoric. Uh, give me 20 talents. I, I need a fast horse. You know, he's like, I got to make it to, can't remember the name of the town. I wrote it down you here. Can't remember the name of the town. I can't remember. So the you name. didn't catch that. No, I guess I didn't catch it. The town. I knew it sounded familiar. Give me a second. No, no. Trayvon. Trayvon. Why should I know that? It sounds familiar, but why should I know it? What um, am I missing? From the very beginning, when he is introducing himself, really? he is going through his legacy. They've captured, you know, you rescued know what? stolen barrow princesses, blah, I'm gonna blah, blah. I'm going to ask you not to... No, okay. No, fine. That's all right. I have burned down the town of Trayvon. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a spoiler. It was in chapter like two or something. Yeah, but it's if I forget about it, then it's still exciting to no. me. It's like if I forget that he's going to get expelled from the university. I'm like, holy, <laughs> they expelled him. Like, so no, that's that's fine. Oh, he's going to burn that shit down. Burn it down. <laughs> burn it down like a rock star. <laughs> like a rock star with a hotel room and a TV. That's right. It's going to throw it through the window. <laughs> so so something went down in Trayvon. Yeah. And he they, is headed there. And he's going to investigate. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it, it's interesting. And so that's basically, you know, kind of where it ends, you know, other than, I mean, it ends in this section with a long conversation with Debbie. Right. Of, of her being like, you're not worth, and, and, and this is important, so I don't want to skip this. Right. You know, you you can't pay me back 20 talents. You know, you'd owe right. me 35, you know, all told with the interest. And actually, I think her math is wrong. But, um, but um, so he says to her, well, what if I have something that's worth 35 talents? And she's like, what do you have that's worth 35 talents? And he's like, access to the archives, you know. And she's like, what, what, what? Well, let's talk now, you know? And clearly he gets the money from her. Right. So, clear, so clearly they, right. they make the deal. Um, it's not in the chapter, but it's pretty obvious that that's right. what happens. Um, you know, and I, I want to talk about this for a sec second here because I noticed one thing important in this section, and it was that three people on three separate occasions in this section of chapters, talked to Quoth and said, be patient. Mm. Lauren told him, I would, you know, when he said, how do I get back into the archives? He said, show me you can be patient and something else. Again, prudent. Remember. Prudent prudent, and patient. That's right. Yep. Um, Kilvin talks to him about patience, you know, and says, you need to learn to be patient. It's not just about being able to produce the coolest thing ever. You know, he preaches to him about patience. And then Manet does the same thing. And he really harps on it. He's like, you're young. You've got forever. You know, Kilvin will help you get back into the archives. Chill out, bro. Like, right. stop being crazy, you know. And he... To be fair, he's in a tight situation with money, but he's been in a tight situation with money before, and he's found a way to make it work. But in his mind, he's like, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be around. 
I'm not going to, I'm not going to last year at, at the university. So fuck it. I got to get in. I'm going to get in the archives. Right. I'm, and to me, that's so incredibly short-sighted because how long do you think you're going to be able to do that before they catch you? Like, you're not going to be able to hang out in the archives for hours and hours and hours on end. Like, you know, you're not going to be able to steal half the books in the archives. You're not going to be able to search through all the books in the archives to find what you want. So why are you going this route? Now, that's not necessarily the only thing that they may have been preaching patience for, but it's just, it's again, they keep like the older, wiser people at the university are like, dude, you got to slow down. There's no reason for you to do everything right away, but he just can't hear it. Well, that's because they don't know that Master Lauren is one of the Amir and he has a vested interest in keeping both out of the archives forever. But, you know, that's a good point that you make. And isn't that just so like. Youth. Youth. Yeah. Isn't that so what it feels like when you're young? Yeah. That everything, the way things are now is the way they'll be forever. You know, a year yeah. is mm-hmm. like 10 years, you know, and, and I, I love that about this character that even though he is definitely um, old for his age. As has been mentioned several times. In some ways. In some ways. Uh, wise beyond his years. Definitely um, intelligent beyond his years. Yeah. Um, but he's a teenager. He's still a teenager. And, and, and were we, was it in the podcast or just standing in the kitchen when we were talking about who we thought would play Dioc? No, that was just standing in the kitchen. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, I I mentioned that I thought Dioc should be played by the same actor who plays uh, Sir Jorah Mormont on the Game of Thrones Sir Ian television Glenn. show. Yeah. What is his name? Ian Glenn. Ian Glenn, yes. Yeah. I, for me, that is Dioc. You know, the thinning yeah. blonde hair, the kind of older but still kind of handsome guy. You know, that for me. And and you said... Well, that, I, I, I don't want to say what I said. Um, okay, well, I can't... Who, I, oh, that's okay. The guy who played Thor is what yeah. I said. So you I said you thought it was the guy name. who played Thor, but the point yeah. was that I was like, oh no, Dioc's like an old... He's like an older guy. But it says right in chapter nine, 69, he's 30. Like, no, wait, okay. <laughs> but in my mind... Because because to quote 30 is ancient. Right, but in know? my mind, I think of Quoth as being like my age, you know? So <laughs> someone who's older than him has to be older than me, obviously. <laughs> Therefore, Ian Glenn. Therefore, Ian Glenn, who's still a fox, by the way. <laughs> um, Total babe. Day, well, that, that one in particular is kind of a sore spot for me if we talk about like our dream casting because until chapter 69 i had i don't know i must have misread his description i had him looking very different in my Mm -hmm. head um don't you hate it when that happens yeah well he i can't what i can never pronounce the name of the um the like what what country or race that um that will willem belongs to how are you supposed to say that word? Siaru. Yeah, which Patrick Rothfuss has said the Siaru are, they're black people. Right. They're, they're African-Americans. Right. You know, they're clearly not African-Americans because that doesn't exist, but they're black people, right? Some Somehow I got it in my head that Dayok, I don't know, I can't remember. Was a that. black guy. Was a black guy. I right. got it in my head that Dayok was like, I, I got it that he was like a 40-year-old black guy. Like I thought of like, 
like a thinner version of like Ving Rhames. Like, and that's mm-hmm. in my head, that's a thinner, hairier version of Ving Rhames was what I was thinking for the casting. And then, and then in chapter 69, it says he's blonde. And I'm like, well, I just completely misread that. Like <laughs> I clearly missed something there. So, so I haven't really had time to readjust my, my mental image of Dayok. I think I'm just going to go with the Ving Rhames. Like, I've, uh, well, you know what? You do you, baby. <laughs> your gonna, brain cast is your brain it's cast. Gonna be, no one they, can take that from and you. And if they don't cast it as Ving Rhames, I'm not going to watch the damn series. <laughs> Burn it all down. <laughs> well, you know how I feel. I feel like if Debbie, and we've talked about this before, if Debbie is not played by... Um, uh, Kristen, Kristen Bell. Bell. Yeah. I will. I'm going to burn this damn house to the ground. I'm coming. I'm coming around to your Kristen Bell. Right? Coming around to your Kristen Bell thing. I am. We could have a whole podcast just about fan, about casting. We absolutely could. We'll talk about that later. Um, right. So anyway, so we talked about the money. We talked about you know him, you know, just getting himself further in debt. And, and the thing to me is, once again, it just shows a, a, a dishonesty. You know. Right. In this character. Um, and, and I'm not saying that, um, I'm not saying that, like, the the means don't justify the ends. But it's, I just want to continue to highlight that the way he operates is honor, honesty, not really important. You know, just all goes out the window when it relates to his goals. I, I mean, he's definitely a chaotic, good character. You know, he has a moral compass. Yeah, correct. Yeah. But not a whole lot of regard. And again, I think that goes back to maybe his Edamaru roots. He doesn't have a whole lot of regard for uh, the rules of society or yeah. or the esta- any kind of establishment rules. Mm-hmm. You know, he just, he wasn't raised in that. He wasn't raised in one place. You know, he was raised like traveling in a troop, probably going from country to country from area to area and you know he's he's a moral person he's not about harming people no, no agreed but if a rule doesn't make sense to him and he's not going to get caught well then... he's got a vengeance streak so i don't know that i wouldn't say harm people but but i agree with you well, he has a moral gonna, compass he, he, yeah. he's not gonna he's not gonna harm people maliciously agreed. for no reason agreed um he's going to only harm people that he feels deserve it or that are going to harm someone else. Or harm him, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so uh, agreed there. Um, I, I would just counter that I, I don't believe that Arladin the Bard taught him that it was okay to be dishonest. You know, um, so I, I would agree that there may there probably are some cultural norms there that are different, and I do think that living on the road where you're never in one set society to really see the consequences of your dishonesty is probably a big part of that. And, I would and again, agree. I, I wonder what Quoth thinks of as being dishonest. You know, um, it, I I wonder if, you know, I remember one comment where he was talking about um, Arladin <clears throat> wanting to move a lot and... Um, all the different reasons that the troop would move on. Yeah. And one, you know, either like someone's wife was looking at him too much or, mm-hmm. you know, this per, you know, and I-, I imagine that in those scenarios, Arladin would say what he had to, to disengage. 
to keep his troops safe. Yeah, pro- you know? probably true. A- yeah. And I would imagine, actually, that Arladen probably talked both growing up that, you know, the ends would justify the means. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, and I don't want to, I, I keep bringing this up because I think it's important. I think it's an important thing to note that, excuse me, that the way this character operates, honor, honesty, theft, subterfuge, those things are, they're all on the table. Like, in his mind, they are not negative things at all. He just, they aren't, you know? It's just a very different character from a lot of other protagonists that we read. It doesn't mean, like, I don't I don't mean that necessarily in a negative way. You know, one of our favorite characters is Jamie Lannister. He shoved a kid out a window, you know? Still like him as a character. But, um, but I just think it's an important thing to note. It is, and it's, it's very interesting. And, um... I'm trying to remember if the whole conversation about Denna and how she's like a an act of nature. Yeah, that happened. Is that happened? Okay, yeah, so yeah, you read about that. She's like of, a hurricane. Yeah, it kind yeah. of reflects back on this and, and your point about Denna being... You know what this is? This whole story? Yeah. It's the story of the hurricane. It's the one the woman the authorities came to blame. Right, yeah, okay. For something that she never done. <laughs> Put in a prison cell. Sorry, I'm sorry. I got you off for a bad joke. Oh, that was a bad joke. Um, I I completely forgot what I was saying. Okay, so yeah, um, I I think that um, that just harks back to your point about Denna being a reflection of Quoth, and there's a there's a whole conversation about how Denna is like an act of nature in that she's destructive, but she's not cruel. She's doing what's in her nature. Yeah. You know, and, and and also later, you know, he talks about if, you know, if a, if a young man wants to heap gifts upon her and he has some expectation, um, you know, and she decides to sell those things and move on. What's, what's that, what's that mean? That's not, you know, it was a gift freely given and a woman's got to take care of herself. Like, you know, we can't judge her for that. Right. So, so Quoth, again, I just think that was an interesting point you made about her being kind of a version of him, mm-hmm. a reflection of him, that um, he has a sense of morality. He has an altruism and, and a kindness. He's not about harming people or being cruel. Agreed. Um, he is about protecting others. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, he he grew up in sort of a, a transient um, tribal existence. He spent three years living on the streets where he had to steal, lie, do anything he could just to survive. So no, he's not going to think twice about if he really thinks he can get it, get away with getting into the archives. He's not going to think for a second about it. Yeah, you know, because for him, it's been and it's been widely acknowledged to others as well that his banishment is is nonsensical is not for a good purpose um well it's it's um somewhat singular or at least they believe it is in terms of the length that it's gone on well and if the you know if if the logic behind um banning him from the archives is that it's to protect the books that lauren really believes he's going to go in there and destroy the books Mm -hmm. because he 
brought this fire into the archives, which we know is patently untrue, that he was tricked by Ambrose into doing that. Now, Lauren ostensibly doesn't believe him. Which is weird. And another point in your you know, th- theory's favor, because you would think Lauren would know what kind of an asshole Ambrose is. Exactly. He knows what kind of an asshole Heme is. Exactly. So he's clearly not oblivious. And Lauren's not an idiot. Exactly. Exactly. So. Say exactly again. Exactly. 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 Asphalt. <laughs> it's a funny word. I can't stop laughing when I hear it. <laughs> God, do you remember oh. that book? That uh, that book that uh, Richard Scary. God, our kids had this book. Oh. Richard Scary's <laughs> book of yes. things that go. Oh. <laughs> Hot. My son wanted me to yeah. read it every single day. That was his bedtime book. Yeah. And there's this whole page. So every every page is about different vehicles. And one of them is the asphalt Van? mixer. Yeah. And it's like. And the, the direct quote is, it puts down asphalt. Hot, hot steaming, steaming asphalt. asphalt. <laughs> oh, oh, I Richard don't think anybody scary. else is going to get that joke. Why? You had to be there, guys. All right. You're sleep deprived when your kids are little. And we're sleep deprived now. We are. All right. All gotcha. Right. So. Okay. Where are we still talking about the book? We can't be talking about the book anymore. We've, we, got, we've okay. got to move on. I think we're, I think, well, that was it. So chapter 70 signs. Yeah. Quoth wakes up. He's brooding. He decides he's heading to Trayvon. He has a pretty, pretty badass interaction with Debbie. And that's where we kind of. That's where we leave off. End this section. Wow. It was a lot. It was. This was, uh, in reading it, I'm like, oh, this is a fairly straightforward chapter. There won't be a lot to talk about. In rereading it and writing notes, I'm like, oh my goodness, there's a lot more there than I realized. So we really do need to pare the chapters down. And we are. So I think that'll, yes, that'll help us so not next to week, have two hour podcasts. Was this a two hour podcast? It's, it's an hour and 45 minutes. I am sorry, you guys. You don't have to be sorry. Some people like that. I'm not sure who they are, but they're some not people. like other girls. That's right. <laughs> that's, folks, that's called a callback. <gasps> what? <laughs> What's next on our roadmap? Um, so, do you have any predictions that we didn't cover? Because we covered all my predictions. I do. I do have some predictions. Um, and I'll be able to be fairly quick about them because we've laid the groundwork for right. it. Right. Um, so my first prediction is that Quoth is not going to be able to get out of his debt to Debbie without there being some serious consequence. Not rocket science, I know. But um, the uh, the thing about it is is that it's, it's more money than he's going to be able to pay off directly. And if he tries to sneak her into the archives, something negative is going to come from that. So he, what I suspect is going to happen is that he's going to get caught and expelled after sneaking into the archives. Uh, my suspicion is also that I think Ari's going to be the key, or not necessarily Ari specifically, but but something that comes from her, or information that comes from her, or some way underground is going to be what leads him to find the way into the archives, um, and that he's going to end up being expelled as a result. Now, the other alternative is that he's going to get expelled because he is going to go to Trayvon and burn the place down. 
And they're going <laughs> to be like... Did you just recently come to that prediction? Uh, well, well, the burning the place down part of it, right. yeah. But, you know, when he decides to leave, like, we know he's going to get expelled. So that means he's got to come back. So it could be that he goes to Trayvon and they're like, Who, where the hell did you go? You know, um, you can't go AWOL from the university. Or it could be that he burns the town down and they're like, you know, poor use uh, or malicious use of Malfi, whatever, of, of um, unbecoming, you know, a, a member of the Arcanum. Arcanum. And they're like, you are a dangerous, you know, man, we got to get you the hell out of here. But um so he's going to come back, but I, I think his time at the university is going to be fairly short-lived. And it's either going to be something that happens in Trayvon, or it's going to be something tied to um, that uh, sympathy lamp or the sneaking into the archives that's going to ultimately lead him, him getting expelled. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that those are like crazy, difficult things to predict, but those are those are my predictions. I'm trying to see if that's everything. Yeah, that's everything I got. Well, those are some good predictions. It's kind of a good way to bring things to a close. Yeah, yeah. So We were going to talk about like fandom news stuff, but frankly, I mean, and I had some stuff to talk about, but frankly, it none of it is like so fresh and new and we're so many weeks ahead anyway that um, I, I think we'll save it for another podcast. Yeah. It's not really time relevant. Right. Um, some good stuff to talk about I think we should talk about, but nah, we can do it some other time. Um but I did want to talk about, and I think this will lead us into our closing. We got our very first iTunes review. What? Our very first review. Five star iTunes. We're we are a five star rated podcast. <laughs> Who reviewed us? Um, Patrick Spoggle. Thank you, Patrick Spoggle. The Patman. The Patman. Patman twenty three. Awesome. So we are very. I hope I pronounced his last name correctly. I hope so too. Because we've only ever seen it written. <laughs> We like, are bad at that, you guys. Like so many other things. So, um, hey, so, yeah, check it out. Like, I've, I've appreciated, and we've had a couple interactions on Twitter where um, we've gotten some feedback on how we're pronouncing the names, and I just really appreciate that because, and I've said it before, you know, you read these books, and then you say say the names out loud, and that's, for me, that's kind of a fun part of it, Yeah, is figuring out the pronunciation things. So, um you can so you can find us on Twitter at I believe it's um, the D and D podcast. The D and D podcast, and um, what what are our other Facebook is Facebook is um, Duke and Duchess. The Duke and Duchess podcast. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's just the Duke and Duchess. Just the Duke and Duchess. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and where else do they? Oh, I don't have the, the paper in front of me. At uh, the Duke and Duchess podcast dot com at the website. At the website, the Duke yep. and Duchess podcast dot com. So, and um, if you're looking, at, and I'll bring this up too, um, if you're listening to this, you've probably found a way to find us. So this may this may be irrelevant, but um, if you're not sure, if you lose our Google Play link or Stitcher or you know, you 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 found us one way, but you want to listen to us on a different phone. Go to the website. That's going to be the best way to figure out where the other, you know, the other things are. And so the website is again the Duke and Duchess Podcast dot com. The Duke and Duchess Podcast dot com, and it is a definitely like a that is a a work in progress type thing. Yeah. We are, but we have we are so enjoying some of the interactions and the feedback that we're getting i i mean 
I'm like, I'm totally geeking out. I have my geeking out face on in case you can't tell. People are actually listening to the podcast. Oh my gosh. And talking to us. It's like, it's really, we're so enjoying it. So like, it's fun. Keep that coming. If if you're listening, um, you just make my day and um, make our make our day when you like interact with us because, dude, we're we're lonely. <laughs> <laughs> only after midnight. We only have each other to talk to about this stuff. Yeah, when and, it comes uh, to the, to the really geeky stuff. Yeah. So yeah, feedback. I pretend like I'm not a nerd in real life, but it's not true. It's it's not true. It's not true. He, you know, he had no idea what a nerd I actually was. That's true. When he married me. That's true. I did not know the depths. I believe I've drawn you further into nerddom. I believe that's also correct. I think I've been a, a, a really good influence on you. I, I think we've both been good influences on each other. We indeed have. I'm the one who brought you into D&D, so. You did. You got to give me something. And we're going to talk about that another time. But so, yeah, keep up the interactions and feedback. Um, if there's anything we can, we're new at this. We're floundering our way through so oh my goodness so new any um any advice with any of the aspects or feedback or um you know yeah there's uh, so much we don't know like just basic like like the website's a mess (laughs) like (laughs) it's okay we're still proud of it but yeah any um uh, feedback or artistic submissions or anything like that um lay it on us um, we're loving it. Be tickled to get something like that. That would be awesome. Super tickled. Um, so the Duke and Duchess Podcast dot com, D and D Podcast on Twitter. Um, and we're gonna start hopefully interacting and putting more stuff on those forums as we figure it out. Yeah, um, and if you're on Reddit, respond to our posts. Yeah, I can't figure out the Reddit thing. I can't figure yeah, out how to make my posts show up. We're struggling. There's there. something we're... with karma. And I see all the stuff we don't know. So much stuff. stuff. There's stuff we don't know. We don't know. So this is, um, we are really approaching the two hour mark now. Done. Yeah. We got to be done. I'm so tired. So yeah, let's wrap it up. So we love you. I think that's what we're trying to say. And, um, but I love you most of all. I love you too. I wasn't talking to you. Oh, sorry. (laughs) That's really, really awkward. (laughs) Well, we I do love not edit. Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this has been another exciting episode of the Duke and Duchess podcast. <laughs> good please, night. Please come back and listen to episode seven. <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. Uh...